Hey guys, it's Abby Kay, and you're listening to The Hook Rocked with my favorite person ever, Jay Scott. Scott, it is the Hook Rocks. It's probably not going to air when it's Friday. I'll probably air got this episode. I'm looking at like Tuesday. So when you hear Happy Friday, we're recording this on a Friday. But nevertheless, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I appreciate you coming by and listening and checking things out here on the Hook Rocks. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. Check out all the podcast on pantheonpodcast.com, a great platform, like I said, for everything music. So uh, I'm sure there's something for everyone's taste on that platform and check them out on social media, Pantheon Pods on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, check out the Hook Rocks on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Hook Rocks. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. Man, I tell you, we've had some great episodes since the beginning of the year. We started everything off with our annual Album of the Year episode, two-parter with Chris Corradetti. We went and talked with Richie Kotzen after that. We talked with Fastest Land Animal on the New Music Spotlight. We had Rick Nielsen and Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick on, which was awesome. We had Sidney Taylor talking about Ozzy Osbourne and his legacy. Just had Jared James Nichols on. We talked about Ticketmaster and Live Nation and the Monopoly and so much more, man. We had the Buddy Guy, Leilani Kilgore uh, concert review. So I am excited about where this year is going. We've been doing this now close to four years. We've got over 450 episodes. So thank you all for uh, for tuning in as you do and look forward to more. Um, we've got a, a, a fantastic episode for you today uh it's a new music spotlight uh second one of the year we've got to pick it up we got to pick up the pace on our new music spotlights and we will do that but this band that we're going to have on we're going to have the singer on just released an album called metamorphosis that is absolutely fantastic 
Um, I know it's only a couple months into the year, but it is already one of the best albums of the year, in my opinion. Um, and there's been plenty of albums that have been released. So it's not like there's just been a few handful of albums. There's been a lot that's come out over the last few weeks, a lot different than last year at this time. Where we were kind of like wondering when everything was going to come out. But the last few Fridays has been awesome in terms of album releases. And this is one that you should be listening to. It's available on all streaming services. You can get the physical copy on their website. I'm very excited to have this guest on the show. It is the lead singer, Gary, from the band Dead Blonde Stars. What's happening, man? How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to talk with you because this album kicks ass. This is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I, I I love when an album like pulls me in and doesn't let go and just kind of hip, hypnotizes me for however long I'm listening to it. The, the, each song is like a journey. The whole album is like a journey. And I just love the arrangements. I love the sound. I love the lyrics. I love the music. I love everything about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, we're super pleased with it. Um, it's, it, it was sort of wrote in a time of COVID. So it was wrote in a very strange time for us where um, we couldn't get together to fuck. We're, we're a pretty tight band in terms of friends. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a strange time, but I think it's, it's come across in the album and we're, we're pleased with it. We're really pleased. We're pleased with the songs. We're pleased with the response we've had. has been fantastic. We are definitely going to get into it, but we got to start as we always do with the same question we always ask when we have a first-time guest on the show. And that is just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? For me, um, I was, I've, got a, I've got a cool one and a not-so-cool one. The cool one was seeing uh, Soundgarden on the uh, Bad Motorfinger tour, and they just were awesome. That's my cool one. My not-so-cool one was being taken by, uh, in in England, we, I would call them my uh, nanan, but I suppose it's grandma in in the US. She took me when I was six-year-old to see the Rolling Stones. So I was taken by my grandma to see to my first gig, see the Rolling Stones. Dude, your grandma rocks. That's awesome. That's an awesome (laughs) story. I mean, my grandmother would never take me to a Rolling Stones concert. So I think that's pretty cool. My parents, the first concert I ever went to was Eddie Rabbit, which (laughs) was an old country western uh, star, like in the late 70s, early 80s. He had that song, I Love a Rainy Night. Oh, And um, I went, that was my first concert when I was like four or five. Nothing yeah. like the Rolling Stones at the age. Yeah, but you you were early like me. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of friends that sort of didn't go to their first concerts till they were like sixteen and seventeen. Yeah, I got I, my nan, my nan bought me my first guitar when I was four year old, and then from there on in, I pestered her. And she, to be fair, she was my grandma was was good, and uh, yeah, she she got me tickets. And at six year old, she took me off to see Rolling Stones. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I've been going to concerts since I was a kid, too. I mean, you know, early as like 10 years old, 12 years old, going to shows. And uh, I had an older brother and he had a lot of friends that, you know, would kind of bring me with kind of 
as they rolled their eyes, but I, I took it all <laughs> in. Right. And I, yeah, and I yeah. loved it. Um, and it's still to this day, one of my, one of the most important things in my life is to go see live music. Um, Absolutely. I think there's, something healing about it. I think there's just a great energy that you can't find anywhere else. Um, I still, even though I've been to hundreds of shows, possibly into the thousands, I still get that amped up feeling, you know, before yeah, yeah. it takes the stage. I love that. There's no other feeling like it. I think it's a good show is restorative. No matter what's happened to you in that week, you go and see a good band and you forget about everything. You just get in, if the band's good, you should be engrossed in, and and it should be escapism. You should, you should learn. If you had a crappy week, you can, you can forget about it for the hour and a half that the guys are playing. Okay, so true, so true. What does Jack Black say in the movie School of Rock? A rock and roll show, a great rock and roll show, can change the world. Or maybe that was almost famous. One of those movies where they say a great rock and roll show can change the world, and it can. It can change your world. You know, like absolutely. You, said, you know, if you've had a crappy day or a crappy week. You go yep. see my performance. You're not in a bad mood. You're like in a good yep. mood when you walk out of there. I mean, how many how many gigs have you? I, I've been to loads of gigs where I've been absolutely sober as a judge, and I've come out afterwards absolutely buzzing because yeah. just an, an excited and energized. And I I think if more people went to live concerts, I think the world would be a much happier place. Absolutely, absolutely, I do. I think a lot of people can be put off by live music when maybe they've had a bad experience early on where they've gone to see maybe somebody that they really idolise um, and they've not really lived up to expectation. Yeah, that's an interesting question because the way crowds are, the way audiences are now, especially the younger generation they have this misconception when they go to a live show that they're going to hear exactly what they hear on the album. And yeah, yeah you, you obviously as a band have to perform that, but there's a lot of improvisation. There's a lot of, you know, things that are not planned. There's a lot of, you know, dynamics versions and everything. So it's, it's, it's much more of a, a, of a performance. And we've had, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about bands that use tracks and don't really play or play, you know, play to whatever. And, you know, if they lose their computer, they can't perform a show because everything's programmed and everything. And, and, and yes, I, 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 I disagree with bands doing that, but I also look at it as it's the audience fault in a way because they become accepting of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. And it's yeah. to me being an old school rock and roll guy, you know, a fan, I want to hear those mistakes. I want to hear the imperfections because that's what makes live music such such an important thing. Absolutely. The only computer we ever use um, is the sat-nav to get us to the venue. Other than that, it's all played. And we, to be honest, we do it even in the studio. We work out if we can't play it live, then it doesn't go on. We don't use it. That's how it should be, right? I mean... You know, when you look at the bands of in our history, you mentioned Soundgarden, you you mentioned the Rolling Stones. I mean, they were able to duplicate what yeah. they played in the studio and they didn't record something that they can't play. You know, I mean, or they worked at it. They they really knew their instruments. I mean, a lot of people want to 
fault the bands of the 80s, right? Because of the glam look and all that stuff. But those guys, for the most part, really knew their instruments. I tell you what, they they might get a lot of stick for the bad hair, but the guys could play. They could play. And it was all real. It was all organic. It was authentic. And now there just seems to be this, you know, I understand if you're using like sound effects or whatever or, 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 and whatnot, fine. But if you can't duplicate it or if you don't want to pay for something that's on a song, either figure out how to play it without it or, yeah. you know, like you said, don't put it on the album. We are absolutely singing off the same song sheet. And my, the entire the entire band for us, we um, we just totally don't believe in backing tracks. And we practice hard and we practice... Um, for us, we want somebody to come to a, a gig and we want... We want them to hear what they've heard on CD in terms of everything being tight and good. And But the only thing that changes live is dynamics. They're going to be hit by much... When we play, we are pretty loud <laughs> by all... Ex- I mean, we've got three guitars. Three guitars and a bass. I mean, we make a lot of noise. <laughs> it's, uh, but for us, we've just not gone down that route of backing tracks. For us, it's, it's not for us. You mentioned Soundgarden. Yeah, the Rolling Stones, you know, two phenomenal rock and roll acts, two bands that are on the different ends of the spectrum in terms of sound. You know, yep. Stones are are, are very uh, almost like a direct influence of the blues. And, yeah, yeah. You know, Soundgarden was this alternative grunge. I still think it's rock and roll. Some people say no, but it, to me, it's rock and roll. It's just different. I love Soundgarden, but you know, when you think of those two bands that you first saw. You know, how, how did you, you know, appreciate both ends of their music? You know, the, the differences that they had. Well, to, to be honest, I've always had a massive, um, I've never really listened to one type of music. Um, I love stuff like Joni Mitchell, Jeff Buckley, um, Carpenters. I love, <laughs> but then I also like, Gajira and Meshuggah and I just I think if you like literally today in my in in the CD player in my car I had two CDs on one was Dolly Parton's greatest hits and the the second one was Fortitude by Gajira so if you (laughs) depending on which part of the journey (laughs) you got two very different uh, CDs going I love that you know There's too many rock bands that isolate themselves from other forms of music. And, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, and to have an appreciation for music across different genres is important because it, it just adds to your, it adds to your appreciation and depth of, of, of music that if you're a music fan, first and foremost, you should appreciate Dolly Parton's early stuff, you know, oh, like yeah. Jolene. And exactly. That's what I was listening to. Oh, yeah. it's just a fantastic song. And, and, you know, then on the metal side, you know, whether it's Meshuga or Gojira or, you know, Mastodon or, or whatever, um, those are great too. They can all live in the same tent and be part of your, your palette of music, yeah. you know? Why? You'd be silly to limit yourself. We'd be silly to just say, well, well we, we, we like this one band, and that's the only band we're going to listen to. 
that it, it's a it, it's a be so limiting. Um, I don't yeah I don't understand why people I, in England we get a lot of things where guys if guys are into metal they'll only listen to metal, and I just don't understand it. I, I weren't brought up that way, so I don't I don't get it. I love I, I love classical music. Um, I like I I don't I love blues. Um, I like I like jazz, but I'm not a jazz cat because. I only like the sort of jazz that if people who are into jazz, they'd hate it. I like the acceptable, where they're all playing the same song. <laughs> no, not the one where they all fire up and they're all, they're all playing a different song. That just blows my mind. But, uh, but yeah, I, I like anything. I think it, we used to have a great show in England called uh, Jules Holland. And what Jules Holland was, was a, um, there was like five or six bands in a studio. Uh, it was on TV. And you basically, they went, they went around the studio twice and each band played a song. And it was live, the sound was good, he always had great bands on. But what he always did, it was a complete mix. So you'd have a rock, you'd like, you, you'd have, you might have Alice in Chains on uh, by the side of um, somebody play, playing a flamenco guitar. It's, And that's what I think... Um, I got into because I, I used to watch it and you used to watch all the bands because you can, if I think if you're into music, like you said, you can take something from everything. You, like you said with Jolene, Jolene is going to move you in a different way to another song. And surely that's what it's all about ex, experiences and you can relate it to different parts of your life. Absolutely. How did those two moments and moving forward, how did that shape you as a musician? Um, my my overwhelming thought with when I went to see Rolling Stones was just the energy, the absolute. And I'd heard all these tracks on at the time; it had been on cassettes. Uh, and but the energy that came off the stage live, and just the volume—I was just blown away by the volume and the the energy that those guys had at the time. And yeah, it was just that it was absolutely sort of transformative in in terms of it. Just it was there was so much energy. It just it just enthused me. It just it really made me like I went home and just played my guitar. Do you know what I mean? And played my guitar because it was just yeah, it was inspiring, absolutely inspiring. And when I I've seen many other bands in between, but then when I went when I saw Soundgarden, it was on the same tour where they had. Faith No More, and the headlines were Guns N' Roses. And, yeah, it was a good show. Um, there was a little bit of trouble because um, Faith No More came on and were blinding. They were really good. Soundgarden came on and they were really good. And then like an hour and a half passed. And then uh, Chris Cornell, um, Matt Cameron... Um, and a couple of the guys out of Faith No More came out and said, well, Axel's not ready to go on stage. So what we'd do, we thought we'd just play your Black Sabbath covers for an hour. And they just played Black Sabbath covers for an hour. It was awesome. And at the end of it, Chris Cornell, I think this is one of the sticking points of the tour when it all got a bit a bit strained between them and Axel, was uh, he said, I'd like to, for you all to show your uh, appreciation of Axel showing you as much respect as he has, 
by throwing every bit of rubbish you could find on this stage. That's fantastic. And there were just tons. The stage, by the time they finished, must have been nearly a metre deep in, in rubbish. So you can imagine how that went down. I never heard and, that story. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and Guns N' Roses came on, and the, the band were flawless, but Axel was awful. It was totally disinterested, which was disheartening, really, because the other, the other guys had put the heart and soul into it, and the rest of the band were putting the heart and soul into it. But for some reason on that day, he wasn't feeling it. And it, as you may have seen from Axel, when he's not feeling it, he doesn't he didn't hold back and he doesn't, it doesn't leave you in any doubt as to how he's feeling. It was totally disinterested. Seeing that, what did that mean to you, you know, as you move forward with, with your music journey and into bands? I mean, that had, that, that's something that has to stick with you when you think of getting on stage and performing that, you know, how important, because those people don't care what your day is, right? If you're having a good day, bad day, they don't care. They want to see a performance. So how did that yeah. suit you in terms of performing? Well, for us, for for me, what I um, I mean, we we will we will we play when we're ill. We for us not to play. I mean, I played a, I played a gig with a broken leg. <laughs> I mean, um, I play. I, I I ended up playing other gigs afterwards, and and I, I had a pot on from literally my foot to above my knee. Um, because that it's, it's a strange one. My uh, my pedals always used to be on my left, but they're always on my right now. The reason being is my, I had a pot on and I couldn't change them, so I had to swap them for that, and it's just stuck ever since. But for us, we 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 go out, and I mean, when we play, we we literally put everything into it, everything. When we when we come off a stage, I mean, we are it's a bit gross, but we are absolutely wet through. We 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 don't leave anything back. It's interesting how you saw that and now that you're in a band and that you you understand the importance of the show must go on. Absolutely. And I, I've been quite fortunate that nothing really affects me singing. So I could, like last week I had, I had a horrendous sore throat, which is I was having trouble swallowing, but I could still sing all right. It, nothing seems to affect that. So I've, I've been lucky in that regard. But for us, I mean, it's literally, yeah, I mean, no matter how we're feeling or what's happened or what's going off, you might be tired or you're not having, you're not having enough sleep, all the same yada yada stuff that you've always heard. But people have come to see you and they come to see you that night. So that night, you better be good. And that's the attitude. What's that? That's the attitude we've got throughout the entire band. If every show, we try and do our absolute best at every show. The new album, Metamorphosis, just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, fantastic album, fantastic record. In, in, in the first part of this conversation, you men mentioned that it was recorded and written during the pandemic. Yeah. I spent a lot of time during that, that period talking with artists who were releasing new music and how the music was impacted by that, by that moment, by that situation. Some had just held on to a record prior that was recorded prior to the pandemic and then just decided to release it. Yep. But more and more I'm finding out that we're hearing stuff. We're listening to stuff that was written during that. 
And it was a very isolating time for a lot of people. How did that impact the direction of the music after the first record? Well, it's a bit, it's a slightly strange convoluted story, but we did the first record and we, 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 what generally happened is I would bring something and we'd work on it in the studio together and write it as, as a band. And we wrote an entire album that way. And COVID hit and we're all isolated. I, and I started writing some songs at home on my own, literally wrote everything, drums, bass, the whole shooting match. With no, I had some advice from a friend that we talked about songwriting. And he said, don't write for the band, just try and write a good song. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, it'll stay on a, it'll stay on your hard drive and never be seen. But, um, or you bring it out on your own or do whatever. So I wrote a group of songs without any target, really, just what I thought were going to be really good songs. Uh, and I played them to the guys. And this, the first thing they did was, right, that album that we've got was scrapping. We're not even going to use it. We're going to write, you're going to use all these ones that you've wrote. So literally we had another album's worth of material that we had to le- they had to learn. And they did it and they've all put their bit in and we got tweaked a bit in the studio. But basically it was all wrote in isolation. It was me in my home studio just working on stuff and just writing songs really. And so I was daft, but without an aim. I wasn't writing a song for the band. I was just writing what I thought would be a really cool set of songs. How did that perspective change your writing? I mean, having that that freedom at that moment to just write and not care, you know, what others thought or, or, or what you were writing for, or who you were writing for. You just wrote a song which is different than what you did in the past. How did that impact you creative-wise? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Liberating. It was absolutely liberating. Because there was no end goal inside, I could literally go wherever I wanted. Use sounds that I've not used before. Um, like we, I, I used a lot of uh, sort of stringy sounds, but they weren't strings. They were guitar making sort of faux string sounds. Um, and we do it live now. The guitars do it all. There's no, like I said before, there's no backing tracks. But it was just totally and utterly, it was utter freedom. And it was a strange when I had the conversation with my friend and he said, just try it, just write. And he's an experienced writer and he writes all sorts of genres of music. And he says, don't pin yourself into thinking, I'm going to write a song for the band. He says, just write a cool riff and take it from there. So I, it literally, that album could have come out as country and western. <laughs> it could have come out as anything. But it, all I knew I wanted it to be, I knew I wanted it to be heavy. I knew I wanted it to be... Um, I have a lot of contrast between light and dark, uh, but there was no end goal and there was nothing off the table either. If I wrote a riff that was slightly different to what I would have done before, it didn't matter. I I, I explored it and that's what happened. And, And we ended up with, I think I wrote about 20 songs um, and we recorded 20 and then 12 of them were used on the album and the others, the others are great, but and they'll be used later down the line. But it was very, it was freedom, absolute freedom, which I've never felt before. Well, I th- what, what I think is different about this process is this was done during the pandemic, so you're experiencing something that you're you've never experienced before. You, you're isolated, and then you're writing in a different manner too, as well. You're writing a different well. Maybe not a different manner, but you're you're writing with without any restraints. Absolutely. So you're so you're the contrast, like you mentioned, the dark and the light. Think about that creative process. Think about the contrast there. You're isolated in your house, but you're free creative. Yeah. That's that's really that. cool. That's that's kind of weird how that worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the way I've changed. It's totally, utterly changed my writing style forever. Like uh, like now, I'm I'm working on the next album, and I've got, I've gone into it with the same approach as this one. What comes out will come out, and it's it's starting it's sounding good, yeah. It's, and and this set of songs we're really pleased with, and this set of songs as well live they've gone over so well. It, uh, we get we're getting loads of people afterwards coming up and talking to us, and just people are connecting with the songs, which is really great for. As, as somebody who writes songs, to find that somebody can relate to it and somebody can get out of a song what they want to get out of it. For a, for a writer, that's 
brilliant. That's absolutely doing my job. With this new approach, was there a lot of trial and error? Or was it just from the word go, you just creating and the juices were flowing? In all honesty, um, I just went with it. I just utterly went with it. I think out of 20, I, I wrote all together, I think I wrote 21 songs. And we ended up using 20 of them. And one of them, I, I scrapped it. And the reason I scrapped it is because I felt it was a little bit writing in the old-fashioned way, in my old way, rather than in the new way. And I wanted that. I wanted that contrast, that freedom. And it, yeah, it's, it's, and the guys were real. I have to say, as a band as well, they were like really supportive because I gave them this group of songs, and it was a bit like sort of handing somebody a new child. I sort of giddy them and thinking, "Oh my God, what's going to come back from this? This could this could be horrendous." You might say, "Gary, you've totally lost your marbles." But they came back and um, they were like so excited, which it was a relief for me. Um, it, it was great. It energized the band. It's it, and it's 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 gone on to do other things for us. We've we've sort of changed a lot of things. Uh, how we even work. It's it's gone beyond the music. It's gone into how we actually function as a band. What some what are some of those things that have changed? Um. We used to have um, some representatives that were doing certain jobs for us. And we thought, well, we don't need that. We can go on and do this ourselves. So we got rid of them. Um, We pretty much do everything in-house now. We have got a couple of guys that help us out. Um, Brian Heeson helps us out massively. Uh, we've got a couple of guys that help us out now, but mainly we do, we saw and do. If we want to do something, we can do it. If we like before, we would t- if we we're tied up with a label, we'd want to release this album. I mean, it might take another eight months to go through the red tape and go through the forward and backwards, and it's quite frustrating as a band to have something ready to go, um, and then be told no, you've got to stand down for eight months. It's re- it's so infuriating and frustrating. Whereas now, we're, we're sort of self-fulfilling. We can say, all right, we love this album. We want it out. And literally, we can get it out as soon as we can get it out. I've talked to a lot of artists who've gone independent after being on a label or being with a record company. And they yeah. say the same thing. You know, They're able to put out music whenever they want to do it rather than sitting on it for however long they have to sit on it. It kind of gives them a sense of freedom too, as well. And I always am hesitant to when someone when a, when a young artist says, "I'm I, I need we want a record deal," and I'm always hesitant to like applaud that. I think I think if you know, you should always go get go after what you're looking for and what you want. But on the same in the same token, in the same breath, that you you really give up a lot when you're searching for that. And I've heard horror stories of record labels, shelving albums, record labels, delaying albums, record labels, wanting more songs. I mean, you really are, you really are bound to what they want. Oh yeah. And, and it doesn't give you the freedom artistically that you would love and doing this independently, doing everything in house is awesome. The one question I have as a result of that, 
is how do you maintain objectivity? How do you remain aware of how good the songs are or how not so good the songs are? Because you tend to fall in love with what you're creating. And then when someone else hears it, they have a different perspective on it. And I think that perspective sometimes can help you and help grow your music. So how do you, how do you stay within yourself and how do you, how do you have a, an honest view of, of your music? We've got it in twofold, really, because our new format really is I'm writing the songs in isolation. The guy, I don't even let the guys hear them until they're finished. So I bring them into them and they're a really good barometer. I mean, we, we we get on so well, but if people saw us in the room, that we are so brutal with each other, <laughs> people would think we hate each other. And it's not, it's just, that's just, where I, we live in South Yorkshire, it's a very distinctive sense of humour. And that sense of humour is generally brutal. <laughs> so if I did something that wasn't right or the guys weren't digging it at all, they would have absolutely no problem in telling me repeatedly and then outside of that we always record with a guy called matt ellis um who's done our recordings for years and it it really it sounds twee but he really is trusted we do trust we trust him uh he always gets things sounding how we want him to sound he's he's great to work with and like we brought this set of songs into him and he was like holy moly these are what have you done? Have you been taking steroids or? <laughs> and he he would he would literally when we went in to record the album, if he thought a song wasn't well, there was a, there was actually a, he would tell us he would he would have no problem in telling me. Um, it was on um, Tiny Giants on the album that the verse that's on there, I didn't write the verse like that. It was sung slightly differently. And he said to me, nah, that's not good enough. I went, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> he said, go away, overnight, come back with some different singing phrasing tomorrow. So I came back with two different styles of singing phrasing for the same idea. And we, he said, yep, that's the one. And that's the one that ended up on the album. A, a lot of people don't understand when a band has that first meeting when they're when they're going to do a record and they all come together and they all have songs or ideas that they have for songs people don't understand that's probably the most fragile moment of a band because yeah. everybody loves their ideas everyone's bringing it to the table and it's kind of just hammering out what's good what's not and yeah if, if you're too sensitive it could really affect you and it can affect the band um, yep. depending on what's discussed. So with you writing all this music and coming to the table, was there nerves for you? Like, man, like how, how are they going to take this? How are they going to accept this? Is all this work that I've done over how, however long I've done it for nothing? Yeah. When it, for me, yeah. Yeah. When I gave them, the, I, I, I sent them, I don't think I sent them all the songs. I sent them about 10 to start with. Just 10. yeah albums worth of music yeah i just i sent it to them and it's probably the it's probably the most nervous i've been in 10 years because i was sending it and i was thinking well i wrote it without any end goal 
and they might hate it. And it, until I got some messages back off them, I was, I was quite nervous. I was, I was thinking, because I was thinking, well, I really like them. I hope they like them. But I sort of consoled myself with thinking, well, if they don't like them, I'll release a solo album. <laughs> and I was so, and I, I don't think I've ever done that, to be honest. But I was sort of preparing myself in case they didn't like them. But luckily, me and our, our bass player, Matt, we get on really well and we've known each other years. And Matt, he, he says things how they are. He doesn't sugarcoating or, <laughs> uh, or people's feelings don't tend to bother him so much. Uh, and he wrote back saying, oh, my God, these are amazing. So I, I knew at that point I'd done what we needed to be done. When you look at the album now, it's out. The response has been positive. Yeah. The reviews have been awesome. Well, it's well-deserved because this album just is, like I said, man, it kicks ass. When you look at the music and, and you look at the album, what does this diary entry of the band say for you? Well, it's a little like when we came up with the title. Um it's, I don't think it's, for us, I don't think it's a huge, we haven't suddenly started playing different music, but we've evolved. We've become a wider band. We, we, we're we not as pigeonholed. We haven't pigeonholed ourselves. So I think the music, it, it, it's, it's just, the metamorphosis is is a great phrase because it is we've we 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 have been the caterpillar, and we are we are now we've evolved into something different and something stronger as well. Stronger in terms of music, stronger in terms of our our band dynamics, how we behave with each other, how we act with you, the the amount of responsibility we take on upon each other to do other things as well. So it's been it's, it's been an absolutely transformative album really and time where have you grown the most from the first album to metamorphosis i think we've grown um in our dynamics i think we've grown it basically in our depth in the songs i think the songs have got a a, a deeper and no it's, it, it just sounded a little bit arty but it, it, the songs are deeper the the, the they just come from a more um, emotional place, I think. And I think that some of that emotion started with the the, old, the whole isolation thing. Because we meet up all the, like, we, we, we meet up multiple, multiple times a week. We practice, we're gigging, we are playing. So I'm with them guys all the time. And to spend, I mean, literally, our, over, a vast majority. I don't know what it was like in the US, but in 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 England, we weren't allowed to leave as houses. We were we we had to stay in the house. Um, we weren't allowed to meet in groups more than two. I think it was initially. Um, so everything was done over Skype, over Teams, over just over the internet. Um, and it, it was quite hard being away from them, if I'm being honest, because the they're like an, they're what they are. They're part of your family. They may not be your biological family, but they're certainly part of your life's family. I think that's one of the things that I noticed about this album is the layers. 
Yeah. This album is so, it's, it's almost like you guys were painting on a canvas and you guys kept adding more and more. And whether it's the arrangement, whether it's the lyrics, the melodies, um, it's, it's just a fantastic piece of music from the first album. You know, the first album was good, but this is, this is really when a band like Dead Blonde Stars really, I think, takes off. I think separates themselves from some of the other bands that are emerging in the UK and around the globe. This is a this is kind of a separation album. I, I think so. Yeah. I think we've stepped his game up. You know, in, in in simple terms, I think we really have stepped his game up uh, in terms of content. In terms of, I mean, for us, the the, the, the music. What every song we, when people t- we don't get one song that comes back to us somebody will say oh well we like worlds apart we we like tiny giants we they seem everybody we're getting loads of people's favorite songs back and but none of them are the same song so it's proven that we've we've wrote a piece of music uh or several pieces of music that connect to different people and people always ask me they always ask me well what's this song about and i always said to them what I wrote it about doesn't really matter. What it, what matters is what do you think it's about? And if you can connect with a song, and you think, well, that 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 I really connect with it's eleven teeth off the top of his head. I I really connect with that song. That it means this to me. I said, well, that's that's perfect. That's exactly what the song's about. It might not be, not to me, but to you it is. I love Over Ocean. Yep. Love that song. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's pretty um, meaty, weighty, I would say. That contrast that you spoke about, is that where your comfort zone is in writing? Yeah. I, for me, I mean, I think you can get dynamics in a song by using different te- different tones or your guitar, different textures. But I've always, I, mean, I sort of grew in, in, in England when I was growing up, one of the big bands were a band called Radiohead. I mean, you'll get Radiohead. They don't do so much. You don't hear much of them now. But they were always a big band on ter- in terms of being heavy and quiet and mixing it in, not being isolated. The song doesn't have to always be quiet or always be heavy. You can mix it in. And that stuck with me, I think, as well. I think I think the more texture you can add to a song, and sometimes... By taking things quieter and cleaner, it just makes them heavier for when you come back in. It's like when we, you uh, on Over Ocean, Matt, when our bass player Matt was first listening to it, he was thinking, "My God, this song is heavy." He's the, and he said, "I didn't think it could get any heavier until it came to the last riff where it got heavier." And that's 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 great. I, I love stuff like that. Do lyrics or the, do do the does the meaning of a song change for you over time? Um, I think what no for me I think having wrote them the the meaning tends to stay the same for me, but when I listen to other people's interpretation of it. I can see where they've come from. So it does give me a, a sort of wider scope of what that song could be about. 
like I could write a song that's maybe about I don't know um, like um, it could be about anything from police brutality to but somebody might not see the police brutality the they might see that it's a family issue um, and they say it to me and I think well actually if I took the lyrics in a different way to what I'm thinking of that could ex- that could be exactly what it's about it's also interesting how a song evolves too. Um, you know, when you hear a song in present day, it could evolve into something different 10 years from now. Yeah. The writing is that, is that evolution present for you when you first starting to when you complete a song or does it take some time for you for a song to evolve and maybe have, you know, a different perspective on it as you get farther away from it? Um, when it comes to the writing of it, the literally the writing and evolving, getting it from start to finish, I tend to write really quickly, like r- really quickly. Like I was doing a song last night and within, from literally going into my studio, I put the drums, bass, guitars and did the singing within space of about two hours. Wow. Now a song evolves, now over time, I think songs evolve. I think they evolve in how you play them. Um, it's like when, when you, you you write and record a song, you get to play it live, and you find it's, it's maybe only ten percent, but you find a little bit of a way to do something that's actually a bit better than what you first did it. And maybe if you recorded it again, it wouldn't come out exactly the same. What's next for the band? This album's out. We're almost, we're about a month, a little over a month away from spring. Touring season begins, festival season begins. What uh, What is the plans for Dead Blonde Stars in this album? Yeah, for us, it's a case of promoting this album. We're going out playing, uh, we play live a lot. We've, we've got a lot of a lot of festivals coming up. Um, in England, festivals are uh, chaotic. Uh, and they're a bit haphazard. I mean, Chicago will be the same, but in England, we are massively weather dependent. Massive. In, in England, it can be like last last year, we had 40 degrees sunshine one day and uh, three degrees the next. It, it, it can be completely and utterly random. But for us, um, it's basically get this album out there, get some more reviews, do as much as we can with it, push it as much as we can. Um, We'll we'll get into festival season. Then when festival season starts calming down, we'll spend the latter part of this year um, learning the new album. What will be the new album, and then it could be eat, sleep, repeat for next year. Are you guys better positioned now with this album than you were on the previous album? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our We've noticed that sort of on on billing and um, uh, gig positioning, we're getting some we're getting good good time slots. We're getting um, we're getting we're, it's not as hard to get people to review things. Uh, it, it's a bit of a snowball effect as well because we you, you get some good reviews in, and then you get people asking for the album to review it. So rather than having to ring people up and so and, and do all that uh, that. So obviously we're we're new to the self management business. It's 
it's not something that we've really done. Um, but we, we're enjoying it and we're, we're loving it and we're finding it's not, we're not finding it's a hard album to get into people's hands. The people we've sent it to of all, everybody, literally everybody has got back to us uh, and arranged things in. Um, it's for, for us, it's opened quite a lot of doors, really. And I think us being independent as well now, that's opened up doors as well. And well, it, Gary, it is a, it's a great album. Um, I love it. And anyone listening, you must check it out. Go, go to DeblonStars.com yep. and you can order it online. You can stream it everywhere. Make sure you stream it because it helps bands out with the algorithm. And it is a, a wonderful album, an early masterpiece in 2023 for sure. Gary, man, thanks for, for coming on the show and, and talking with me about it. Anytime. I'll, I'll see you next year for the next album, yeah? Well, dude, I'm going to take that as a promise. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 next Next time, I won't have uh, the same technical issues as I had this time. We got through it. It's all important. And and it was great talking <laughs> with you. Man, everyone, like I said, check out this album, DeadBlondStars.com. Order the album Metamorphosis. You will not be disappointed. Go stream it wherever. Follow them on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, support new music as we always do here. That's Gary from Dead Blonde Stars. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Now take care of each other, stay safe, and we will talk soon. Thanks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 